for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, our mission is to cure cancer. Holy cow, right? How do you do that with 56 different chapters in the United States, three chapters up in Canada? How do you do that in a way that you can sit in front of a volunteer going, this is your impact. This is what we're going to achieve together. Welcome to the Interesting People podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jonathan Wilson, the Maryland Executive Director of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. How's it going, Jonathan? Good, Patrick. How are you? I'm doing great. So you're part of my LLS series, so to speak. Yes. And you're the Executive Director. I am. You fundraised before you joined, right? I did. I fundraised and also was a volunteer. So I did a lot of things with our support groups for patients. And also I got in by doing a marathon and fundraising. So I started out as a fundraiser before coming on staff. How did you first hear about it? Very selfishly, I guess you would call it. I was in the military. When I got out of the military and moved locally to Maryland, I did not know about the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. I did not know about the mission or its impact. I just wanted to run a marathon. I am originally from Central Florida, so I reached out to the Disney Marathon, and at the time, there was no online registration. You couldn't see if it was sold out or not. I actually called Disney, and they said, sorry, we're sold out, but we do have spots for team and training. I had no clue what team and training was. So they gave me the local contact. Jessica Soriano was a local contact back in 2002, 2003. So I got a hold of her and she's like, sure, we'll, we'll, we'll sign you up, but you have to fundraise. I had no clue what that actually meant. So started training and fundraised and really did not put my whole heart into it. But I went down to the event. It was January uh, 2004. And there were thousands of people there uh, and their stories and why they were actually fundraising for team and training, which is to benefit Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And I looked around the room and I started getting lower and lower in my chair and didn't really put my whole heart into it. I didn't really find out about the mission a whole lot. I was fundraising in honor of somebody that I really did not know. It was a close family relation that died in the 80s that I did not meet. I started hearing all the stories in the race and And the next day during the marathon, which is my first marathon, hardest thing I've ever done, I found everybody in a purple jersey, which is team and training, ran up to them and started listening to their stories and saw how impactful not just team and training was and running a marathon was, transforming people, but the stories of why they were doing it, either in memory of somebody or supporting somebody or themselves a survivor of blood cancers. And it really impacted me. Immediately on the finish line, I signed up for the Marine Corps Marathon with team and training, started going to trainings, found local stories, started really getting involved that way. Because I was coaching as well, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society locally used to have a support group with the Ullman Fund for Young Adults. And we used to get survivors together and talk to them about financial assistance, how to get back into fitness. After going through treatments, I used to talk to survivors for about two years on how to get back into fitness. And that got me into coaching, which got me more involved with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, got me more involved with the local staff. And over 10 years of doing that fundraising almost every year over those 10-year period, but also volunteering, providing my management consulting services to the local staff and other campaigns, but also coaching with team and training. That got me set up to when the position opened up for the executive director in 2015, the board of trustees and the regional vice president reached out to me and said, you might want to consider applying for this position. So that's how I got on staff. Your for-profit career made you very well to enter into the executive director position. It did, especially with the direction of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society just in the last five years. Dr. Louis DeGenero, who is our CEO, is really looking at us as a not-for-profit business and really focusing on our p- 
pillars of support to patients. That's research, patient services, and advocacy, and really going all in on finding out how to run ourselves as a business and investing into those pillars. So that really translated my skill set from the for-profit world and management consulting and also running a business to the executive director role where we are a chapter of, of a national nonprofit, but we have a lot of local impact, especially from funds raised, volunteers engaged, and patients engaged as well. Being a fundraiser that was on the outside looking in, were there certain things that you entered into the executive director spot thing like, all right, if I was in charge, I would have changed like three things. Did you go in with that kind of mindset? I did not. I kind of went in going, how do we run this like a business? And luckily, we have some phenomenal volunteers and executive leaders that work with us. So really sitting down with them, with our board of trustees and the board chair at the time, and really developing a strategy and really trying not to go into it with a a lens of this is what I would change going, this is the consulting in me, kind of that step back on, let's look at all the parameters, look at all the, the strengths and weaknesses and opportunities out there that we can develop a strategy kind of moving forward locally and how it feeds into nationally. And the local volunteers are amazing from my board of trustees to our executive committees for our campaigns. They've done a really great job of understanding our products that we have our campaigns and really how to generate the awareness in the communities and how to get people engaged. And taking that over the last three years since I've been in the role, the dramatic increase just in awareness and outreach has been phenomenal. And there are a lot of metrics that we look on on how we can do that. But the last two years, the thing that I look at the most of, are we getting in front of the patient? That's the biggest key. We can get funds raised all day long. We can get uh, podcasts and talking to <laughs> local, but are we getting in front of the patients that actually need our support? This last year, which was a 19% year-over-year growth, we had $842,000 of travel assistance and copay assistance to over 660 patients across Maryland. That is a dramatic increase over the year before, which was also a dramatic increase of the year prior to that. That means we're getting in front of the patient. That means we're doing our job. And that's the challenge you kind of often hear with charities of making sure that what you collect actually goes to the people that you're helping. Correct. Light the Night Frederick, which is on October 26th. Everybody come out. It's in the evening at Frederick Key Stadium. Kind of had to put a plug in for that. Phenomenal community-based campaign that we have. It's our flagship campaign for the community's free event. We just encourage people to register, come out. Last year in Frederick had close to a thousand people come out to it, which is great. And Patrick, you're yeah, our MC, which was phenomenal. <laughs> it was. It was phenomenal. Fireworks, everything was great. But when you look at that, you're like, wow, there has to be a lot of money to put an event together like this. One good thing about what we do is we really limit the number of events that we have across the state so we can focus on funds going to the mission. So for Light the Night, we have a Baltimore event and Frederick event. We make sure that only 10% of what funds raise actually go putting on to that event. So 90% of funds raised for Light the Night locally go right back to the mission. You mentioned a lot about running, but Light the Night is a walk. Did it you is. do the walk in the past? I have. The two campaigns that I was really familiar with as a volunteer and fundraiser was Light the Night and Team and Training. Team and Training significantly, especially out here in Frederick, we had a huge team and training team out here. We used to run the Frederick Marathon when it existed in the past and half marathon. But Light the Night has always been how I got my company involved. When I was a management consultant, I worked locally with my company, and we actually had a small team come out to the Howard County and Baltimore events. Now, walk is a component of Light Tonight, but I really look at it as a community event because when you go out there, we do a walk towards the end of the ceremony. But the biggest part of Light Tonight is the opening ceremony or the 15 minutes, as I call it, of really emotional. And this goes involved with personally why 
am I involved with the Leukemia Lymphoma Society? I've lost three grandparents to lung cancer, and I've lost a mother-in-law, a really close friend of mine, to pancreatic cancer this year on January 9th. So why am I involved with a blood cancer organization? Well, we're really looking at a lot of the treatments and research, the advancements, and and blood cancer research is going towards other cancers. A good example of that is my mother-in-law. She was an influential person to me coming over to nonprofit and, and really going into this executive director role three years ago, over three and a half years ago now, when I was presented the opportunity to interview for the position. I talked to Lisa, and she was in dental consulting oh. at the time. <laughs> so we both had a consulting background. We sat down with my wife, Robin. We, we sat down and really figured out, okay, is this the right move? And kind of looking at it from that standpoint, she says, use your background, go in the nonprofit. Here's what you're passionate about. You've been volunteering for 10 years. You have thousands of connection points to the mission now, which is true. I've lost a lot of people that I've coached and, mm-hmm. and, and were interacting with. And a lot of people that I've coached that were going through treatments are survivors now. Well, that same year, Lisa, one of her colleagues' daughter, was diagnosed and go through treatment. So she came out to our Light Tonight Baltimore. She really liked Light Tonight. The next year, I was, this is one of the crazy things I was doing. The next year, 2016, I actually ran on a treadmill for 24 hours. We came up with an event. It wasn't really me. It was actually our my team and training manager at the time that kind of challenged me and a couple teams to do it. And I never turned down a challenge. So I ran on a treadmill for 24 hours and I had three teams competing against me. And the person that was with me that whole time was my mother-in-law. Her office was right down the road. She kept bringing me food, which was great for a 24-hour period. Yeah. She dropped me off that morning. That same month, she was actually diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. Oof. And it just came out of the blue and we weren't really ready for it and then all of a sudden I'm like wow maybe I'm here for a reason that's kind of a a cliche but at the same time it really helped me focus my personal efforts on how to support Lisa through her treatments she was given single digit percentage of surviving for 12 months and her grandkids three of them they're little so how do we get her through that year Well, she survived 18 months. If this was 5, 10 years ago, she probably would not have survived 12 months. And there was a lot of advancements that her doctors were going through that were the result of blood cancer research. And there's that direct correlation to it. And her hope, and she told me this at Frederick Light Tonight, she was actually in the survivor circle holding the hand of her granddaughter, uh, which is very emotional. And I'm going to get very emotional this year when she's not there. But she turned around and she said, you have to keep doing what you're doing because somebody that's in my same predicament that is going through treatments that doesn't have a strong chance of survival. Their only hope is the advancements that we're doing in blood cancer research that's translating over to solid tumors, pancreatic cancer, breast cancer. And the FDA this last year approved a lot of blood cancer protocols and advancements, 18 of them, 15 of which were Leukemia and Lymphoma Society funded. But a lot of those are getting translated over to other cancers, Mm -hmm. and that's providing hope. So we had 18 months with Lisa while she was going through treatment. Those 18 months that we had that we probably would not have had prior to that. So for me, Light Tonight's different. Light Tonight, we're, we're going to go out in Frederick, and I have a family team, and it's in memory of Lisa. It was in honor of Lisa last year. But it's really, even though we have a, a gold lantern in memory of her, that gold lantern provides hope. So we're always going to hold on to that. It's amazing how we're all kind of connected. We know somebody yeah. out there that has been diagnosed with cancer or going through cancer treatments or has been affected by cancer. I've been really, really honored to be part of this organization that has a passion around saving lives. 
one life at a time and looking at how we can continue doing that. So Light Tonight really provides that background of getting the community involved and really are on the forefront of getting out to hospitals and patients. It's amazing that the community around here and how much they support blood cancer patients and cancer patients in general. So with people that work in nonprofits and a lot of these kind of things, the emotional wear and tear is so heavy. Is it the advancement? Is that what helps you keep going? And this last year, especially, has been hard for our, our staff. And I say it's been hard because we, we are so invested in everybody's personal stories and connection points. And we lost a lot of great people this last year. And when you come out to Light Tonight this year, there were some people that, like Mason and Lisa, that are not there anymore. Joni Reynolds was a temp that uh, worked on the Maryland staff, and she died last year in July of gallbladder cancer. She worked with us for a whole year on our Pennies for Patients campaign and really driving a lot of schools, especially out here in Frederick. She actually worked uh, directly with some Frederick schools on doing in-school fundraising for us through our Pennies for Patients campaigns. To Denise Cornier, who's the head of oncology nursing at University of Maryland Medical Center, she died in September after a long battle with lymphoma, a different types of strands of lymphoma. I actually coached her personally. She was actually my honored hero during the treadmill challenge. So it's those stories and and people that get involved with us as well. You get so close to them as and listen to their stories to just this last year in Man Woman of the Year campaign in Baltimore. We lost two phenomenal volunteers. One was Alex Alex Wobleski, who was from Baltimore. He was murdered down in Baltimore, and he ran for Man of the Year. That was last November. And then we had Anne McLaughlin in January, right after my mother-in-law died. She died from an infection. And, you know, you get so close to them, and they provide so much to— and she ran for Woman of the Year in 2017 for, for Baltimore. It's amazing on those. You, you have their families involved with you in the mission, and it is kind of draining that you lose people. But then you look around and you see people that are surviving and you see the hope that's around you. And just on my staff, and you've interviewed a lot of them, (laughs) I have Ashley, who's a survivor. I have Sonia, who's a CLL survivor. I have Georgia Cleland, who's inspiration behind team and training. She's a 30-plus year survivor of childhood leukemia. Jillian Joseph is a survivor on staff. And then on my board, I have a significant number of survivors of really rare blood cancers that, because of the advancements, they're here with us and they're leading the efforts and fundraising and awareness, which is phenomenal. And that provides you hope and continuing what you're doing. Do you read up on the research? I get cliff notes, which is good. <laughs> so we have a phenomenal medical officer in Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, Dr. Gwen Nichols. Gwen's done a phenomenal job of really providing that forefront of this is what we're doing in advancements. And Dr. Lee Greenberger, who's up in our research arm at the National Office, they did a great job of translating what we're putting together in advancements that we're having and bringing it down to the local level that we can have conversations with, here's the impact, this is what we're trying to do. A lot of the efforts now are really focused on more of that precision medicine, the treatment options that don't cause wear and tear of your body later on down the road. But there are a lot of people out there that had treatments 10, 20, 30 years ago that are getting second tertiary cancers, or they may have other health effects. And that's really a focus kind of moving forward is look at all the survivors we have, right? So how do we support them as well? So you're really going to see in the future that we're going to be focusing on that population too. We have support groups and We do a great job from that standpoint. But there are other things like treatment options that we can really help survivors have a quality of life 
after their treatments. And there are some blood cancers out there, too, that you, to be cancer-free, you have to continue a drug regimen, and that's very, very costly. Just this last year, over 660 patients in Maryland, we support it with copay assistance and travel assistance and other financial assistance. Well, part of that copay assistance is around treatments. For someone who needs to continue taking a pill, which is phenomenal that someone can take a pill and stay alive for the rest of their lives, how can they pay for that? That is a significant thing that we can help for those that do qualify for it. And getting a hold of our Information Resource Center, either through LLS.org or calling 1-800-955-4572. To double back on something, yes, you mentioned a lot that you did consulting work. Did I you did. go to school for consulting after the military or before it? Before and after. My undergrad degree from Florida Institute of Technology was in organizational psychology. And when I was in the military, I actually was a human resource officer. So I'm somewhat applied what I learned uh, in college to the military. I was on active duty for four and a half years, and then I was in the reserves for three and a half years after that. But when I got off active duty, I got a job as a management consulting. I found a niche to doing kind of traditional consulting with working with federal clients to where I was helping translate change management practices and human resource consulting from that traditional consulting to the federal clients. And then I got my master's degree in organizational change. And during my consulting year, I actually worked with 18 different clients throughout the Mid-Atlantic region focusing on change management, human resources, project management, organizational strategy, really helped with federal clients and also commercial clients as well. One of the things that translates over to what I'm doing now as an executive director is you kind of take a step back and kind of look, what is your end state? What do you want to achieve? So like for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, our mission is to cure cancer. Holy cow, right? That's a huge, how do you, how do you make that in bite-sized chunks. And the national office and our national board of directors have done a phenomenal job of actually setting what that looks like and then giving the flexibility down to the local level, our local chapters, to work with our board of trustees to develop goals and objectives for one to two to three to five years to achieve that. And we're really focusing on awareness and funds raised. But it's daunting kind of looking at if you're a $500 million organization and here's your end state, cure cancer. How do you do that with 56 different chapters in the United States, three chapters up in Canada? How do you do that in a way that you can sit in front of a volunteer going, this is your impact. This is what we're going to achieve together. It's phenomenal when you can do that at that level and really apply a lot of the strategy skills from a consulting standpoint. I'm not doing that at the national level with our organization, of course, but I can see how it translates. And that's where it's been really fun and fantastic because we can really look at this as a business, but it's a business for relationships. And what we're trying to really do is get the relationships necessary as a partnership to really cure cancer. It's as simple as that. But at the same time, there's a lot of things that fall into that, including local partnerships with companies, local partnerships with friends and family teams, survivors, hospitals. Locally, we have some phenomenal partnerships with companies that do retail campaigns for us. And we actually use hundreds of volunteers locally to help out with that. And in Frederick, it's really predominant with our partnerships with IHOP, Boscoff's, Walgreens now. Walgreens is actually doing a retail campaign for us right now. Great American Cookies through Global Franchise Group. They're doing a local campaign. And also Wawa. Wawa is finishing up their campaign right now for us. And people come into the stores and donate funds directly to Leukemia Lymphoma Society. And that's huge huge part of the partnerships that we have locally. One of our big partnerships is actually with Burlington nationally. They kick off their campaign for 12 weeks starting next week Oh, um, on September 9th. The Pancake Days, you have the team members out there. I saw Carter eating pancakes yes. a few months ago yeah. when it came on. It, it's 
you get to meet the families. You get to meet the people locally. National Pancake Day locally yeah. is for the Leukemia but to benefit the Leukemia Lymphoma Society through our Light Tonight campaign. And on National Pancake Day, I try to go out and visit as many IHOPs as possible from out in Hagerstown all the way through. And I try to get to the Eastern Shore, but yeah. that's hard, you know, going from one end to the other. And a lot of our staff do too. But the great thing is you walk through the stores with your volunteers and you don't really ask for money. You just thank people for being there and you start hearing stories and you yeah. start survivors start. I had leukemia, you know, 25 years ago, or my brother had it 10 years ago. And that connection point to community is amazing. Our partnership with IHOP is phenomenal locally. With all the running and stuff like that, do you actually partake in the pancakes? Is that like your cheat day? I used to. So I actually went vegan about a year and a half ago. And I did that for running. But pancakes is actually my favorite food, which is really hard this last pancake day kind of going through. Uh, I had a lot of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I actually make vegan pancakes for my kids every weekend. So that's actually my favorite food. So. Oh, cool. Still getting a chance. <laughs> so right. So the, the 24-hour treadmill thing. Yes. Did you get breaks? Did you have to go to the bathroom? That's like the first thing that people are right. going to ask. My goal was to run 100 miles, which my wife told me I skirted around the deal I told her when we actually got married in Frederick, so at Searsville Mansion, so I had to oh. plug that in there. Right before we got married, she met me, and I was doing all these crazy runs. She said, well, you have to promise me. You're never doing one of those crazy 100-miler ultra marathons." I'm like, I promise. I won't go more than 50 miles. We came up with this challenge, and I had to pitch it. I had to have the business case, you know, and I presented to, <laughs> present it to my wife. I'm like, Robin, here, here's what I'm going to achieve. She looked at me, and she goes, so this is your way around that 100-mile <laughs> deal that you had. And I said, well, on a treadmill, I can, I can always push stop at any time. And that gave me the permission to do it. I can turn the treadmill off at any time. I'm not lost in the woods somewhere. So my goal was 100 miles. So mm-hmm. that's 4.2 miles an hour. I trained for three months doing four to six hours a night for three months on the treadmill. Once the, the kids and my wife went to bed, I was on the treadmill from nine to midnight almost every night. And just to get my body acclimated to that and then run in the morning uh, with my dog and then do it every Every day for three months. I trained myself to walk for 30 minutes, run for 30 minutes. And I trained myself to walk at a 4.2 mile pace. And that helped me kind of get in the bank minutes. Mm -hmm. So every other hour, I took a 10 to 20 minute break. Okay. And it's a bio break. Get off, use the restroom, get as much food and liquids in your body as but I ate on the treadmill. I I think within the first two hours, I ate a large pizza. There you go. (laughs) I was not vegan at the time. I had a lot of coconut water, but continually, every time I got off the treadmill, I weighed myself to make sure I wasn't losing or gaining too much weight. So it was a constant kind of struggle for the 24 hours. Every hour, I was checking vitals, checking everything, making sure I was staying healthy. What motivated me, though, was the three teams that came in to, quote unquote, compete against me. They were a relay team. So they had somebody come in almost every hour on those treadmills. And thankfully for me, that kept me sane because I had somebody different next to me every hour (laughs) that I can say the same story over and over again. But the stories I was hearing from people, thank you for doing this. It wasn't me doing it. They were coming in raising a lot of funds for us. We raised almost just over $21,000 in 24 hours. And we got news coverage. And it's just the awareness part of it was huge. I had 
personal goals, but at the same time watching these teams compete against each other. And they were going at it. <laughs> they were trying their hardest to get the most mileage and get the most funds raised. And Charm City Run was one of the teams. And I think they ran 178 miles during the 24 hours. So they would just have someone go ham for they like an hour straight going. and then send and, someone. Yeah. And I'm walking next to you know them going at a seven miles per hour pace. And well, I'm just going to walk. And they're like, why don't you run with us? I'm like, I'm at this for 24 hours. The hard part was the middle of the night. And that's where I was getting maybe three miles in an hour. But luckily, I had banked a lot of mileage already, and I was ahead of schedule, so which was good because I could get off and just take a deep breath and rest. I was afraid to lay my head down because yeah. I was afraid I wasn't going to wake up. And my staff member there, Karen, she was laying down on one of the chairs next to me, and I was afraid that she wasn't going to wake up and nor wake me up, so there was no sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I ended up doing 100.32 miles wow. uh, in 24 hours, and uh, the last 30 minutes, I literally had the treadmill at 0.5 miles per hour because <laughs> I already hit the 100-mile mark, and I'm like, I'm just going to ride it out at this point. <laughs> time, right? At the time. That's... Well, yeah. And one, one of the good things, we actually were live streaming it. The honored part of it was, I think it was 11 o'clock at night, I was getting messages from our CEO from up in New York City <laughs> going, I'm watching you. And I'm like, oh, no, I have to keep going. But it kept you accountable, oh, yeah. too, at the same time. Keep that so, hustle. That's right. Oh, man. I totally meant to transition to running, but I do yeah. want to ask you real quick, yeah. with how long you've been in the game, with social media, how has that really changed? Then? It changed a lot, but not at the same time. Let me put it that way. It changed from awareness standpoint. You're getting more people aware. Just our Facebook fundraisers that we have now, if if you are an active fundraiser through Team of Training and Light Tonight, for those that are that are listening that are part of our Light Tonight campaign, you can actually go through and set up a Facebook fundraiser page that actually feeds into your personal fundraising page now. Oh, fantastic. Which is great. We just started that this year. That is very, very helpful. People are getting their fundraising goals achieved pretty quickly that way. But at the same time, it hasn't changed. The biggest way that our fundraisers are successful in achieving their personal goals is one-on-one, peer-to-peer fundraising. It's those personal connections. It's Patrick. This is what I'm doing. And I'm doing the Light Tonight Frederick in honor and in memory of my mother-in-law, Lisa Black. And here's her story. And she wanted to make sure that we continue her legacy by fundraising. Will you support me by donating $30? That's what gets you the fundraising in. And it really connects people that way. And our biggest fundraisers, man, woman of the year, students of the year, the ones that are coming in to the $100,000 plus fundraising efforts. It's a good plug for our students of the year. Our national students of the year winners, the seven-week fundraising campaign that we engage high school students across the nation. Our national students of the year winners are actually right here from the state of Maryland. Oh, really? Yes. Samir and Sar Shah raised $413,000 in seven weeks. What? And people are like, how did they do it? It was peer-to-peer fundraising. It was them doing personal ass. They did have some sponsorships come in. But when you look at the biggest part of their pie were personal donations. And it was going in front of people from the lowest amount they had was a dollar donation all the way up to a $100,000 donation and everything in between. And they just asked. And that was it. And here's our story. This is why we're doing it. And will you support us? On the Eastern Shore, Man Woman of the Year, we had six teams over $50,000 each. In Baltimore, our Man of the Year All-Star, Patrick Dahlgren, raised $73,000 in 10 weeks. And they're doing it just like someone would do it running a marathon or actually coming out for our Light Tonight event, just asking their networks for a donation. And that's successful. You can either do that through social media, through email, letter writing, or just knocking on your neighbor's door. 
That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. All right, so yeah. we teased it at the start. Yes. We got to chatting because I did not know that you were a runner when we chatted the other day. We both like challenges. Yes. You have a challenge for me, right? I do. I want you to run a marathon. Yes, I yes. do too. Right. So we have to figure out a marathon next year. Yeah. Uh, we won't say, I want you to run a marathon next week. That's not doable. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's doable, but you're probably- Doable, would, but dangerous. Very dangerous. There is the Frederick Half Marathon here, but you've done half marathons, you've yeah. told me. So you I, I've done do the a, Frederick Half three times now. We want to do a marathon. Marathon. So we should do a local marathon. So there's either the Baltimore Marathon, the Marine Corps Marathon. There's also the NCR Trail Marathon. There's a lot of local marathons. So we need to figure out what in a year from now that you and I are going to run. And I will provide a training plan for you. Oh, really? We'll run together. We'll do some of your vlogs out there and, yeah. and maybe come back later on and do a podcast of how your training's going. Oh, fantastic. Locally, you know, the Baltimore Marathon is a phenomenon. That's actually my one of my fastest marathons. I did the Baltimore 10 miler two years ago and I haven't been back to Baltimore. So this could be my glorious return. That could be your glorious return. It's, it's a hard marathon, but it's a, it's a phenomenal first marathon as I've well. I've actually done the last six miles of it because I did <laughs> right. a team relay now yeah. that I remember. So yes. I've seen the ending. Time, yes. time to see the other 75%. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's figure that out and come up with a challenge and let your listening audience kind of go through that journey with you as Perfect. well. Perfect. Yeah, I'm a little crazy. So, you know, <laughs> I am, I'm actually doing a Marine Corps marathon in honor of my friend Mike Foley, who mm -hmm. just passed away. And he had a team fighting with Foley and we have a significant number of people that are running the Marine Corps Marathon next month in honor of him. It's actually the same weekend as Light the Night Frederick. Oh, really? <laughs> so I'm doing two things that weekend, <laughs> personally. One for my mother-in-law on Friday night and then on Sunday running the marathon with team and training. It's my 31st marathon. But I can tell you, every marathon has a story. Yeah. And there's a journey and a personal transformation that you go through. That's the thing I always try to tell people because even just doing half marathons, people look at me like I'm insane when I say just at this point. But it's like the emotion you get when you cross the finish line of these things. It's like a mini lifetime. It is. And the people you meet, because are you a no headphone runner? I am. Yes. You're run buddies. <laughs> you find people every couple of miles. That's how I remember my, my uh, half marathons is this last Frederick half marathon. I remember miles five through eight. I ran with an off-duty cop and just learning her story. Eventually, she was in better shape than me, so she she went on. But those, like, those couple of miles where we chatted and got to know each other, yeah. it's like, that's great. That's the that's the fun community aspect of doing these runs. It is. And kind of going back to my mother-in-law, I actually trained her to do her first half marathon, and she oh, actually cool. did it in Frederick. She did the Frederick Half Marathon. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, when I, I actually coached on the course as well when we had a team and training team out there. So seeing her fundraise and come through the half marathon as well, that was probably 2011. Frederick as a whole and the communities around Frederick, and I know that's your main listening audience, phenomenal communities around here. Just the connection points and how everybody is looking out for one another. That is refreshing to see in our day and age. Thank you so much for your time, Jonathan. I end every interview the exact same question. What are you excited about? What are you looking forward to? I am really excited about Light the Night Frederick, and um, that's probably not a surprise to you. <laughs> you know, even though my mother-in-law is not going to be there, I'm really excited about really celebrating her life, but also celebrating our advancements in community going forward. We have a record number of teams that are signed up already. It's out at Frederick Key Stadium on October 26th. It's a Friday night this year, and the feedback we got is Friday night. It really keeps the whole weekend open for everybody, so we're really looking forward to having a phenomenal community event for that. And light tonight is always the start of the cool weather, so we can get out and running, yep. and so that, that's what <laughs> excites me. I've been running on the treadmill a lot in the morning, and I really want to get back outside, yeah. but 
my allergies and, and the heat is just heat been, it's been crazy. So I'm really looking forward to the cooler weather. And for me, cooler weather means marathoning and light the night. So there we go. that's what I'm looking forward to. That's awesome. So. Yeah, I had my brain messed up by being in San Francisco because the highest I ever got was like 64. And I came back and it's like, oh, it's 100 degrees. It's 100 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for right. your time. Thank you so much, Patrick.